45. You would think I have the technology uh, understood and under wraps, but as Dr. Fox just saw, I'm still figuring this out with every passing day and every passing episode. So, but that's an excuse to, uh, to make up for my own shortcomings. So with that, Dr. Fox, please introduce yourself, sir. Thank you, Tommy. Well, you're way ahead of me on the tech stuff, so uh, I take my hat off to you. <laughs> anyway, I'm uh, Richard Fox. I'm a physician in Las Gatos, California. Uh, I'm also a uh, California licensed attorney. So uh, during this discussion, I'll sort of uh, uh, I'll be switching hats from time to time, depending on which one fits the best. Uh, I also happen to be running for Congress uh, in this election cycle. Um, it's interesting, I'm running in the 16th Congressional District in California, which uh, is currently held by uh, Representative Anna Eshoo, uh, which is significant because she is currently the chair of the House Health Subcommittee. Uh, and that uh, committee has jurisdiction, oversight jurisdiction, over uh, the National Institutes of Health, the NIH, Dr. Fauci, the CDC, and the FDA. Um, and uh, as we'll discuss here, uh, I have a very different uh, approach to how COVID should be managed than she and Dr. Fauci have. So, um, so um, perhaps uh, Dr. Uh, perhaps Representative Eshoo will want to be on one of your future episodes to uh, to respond. Anyway, I would welcome it. I would, I would love to have her on to respond. I've, I actually, actually just pat, this past weekend got a, a a formal a formal rejection from the office of Dr. Fauci at the uh, NIAID to come on my podcast and told him I was like, yeah. hey, I was like, I'd love to have you on. I'll, I'll I, I won't attack you. I'd, you know, give you the give you free reign and you know argue your half. I've I've never seen him on a podcast format before and. Uh, I got a respectful no. So, well, I don't think either one of us are too surprised about that. No, not at all. But I figured if I have on you and Dr. Malone and Dr. Freed and Dr. McCullough so many times, I need to at least attempt to offer an olive branch and, and see if he would come on here and talk. And I don't think he had any interest in it. So that's what I, that's what I get for trying. Now, you know, I've, I've interviewed Dr. Tyson before, who's also running out of California. Um, what exactly would you do not to immediately throw you on the hot seat, but what immediately, what would you do, uh, that representative issue, uh, would not want to do? So, uh, let me get into that. Sure. Uh, as I said, the uh, main issue in, uh, my campaign is this, uh, COVID catastrophe. It's uh, been a, a medical catastrophe, a, a public health catastrophe, uh, an economic catastrophe, um, so as I said, I'm a physician, uh, I've treated many, many COVID patients. I have a website, uh, people, uh, come to me through my website and, uh, if it's appropriate, we uh, treat them for their uh, COVID, both for prevention and treatment. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, drug treatments that I use are those that were pioneered really by doctors, uh, Tyson and Fareed, uh, as you uh, have noted, uh, there have been a lot of other people who have contributed to that as well, which I should mention, Dr. McCullough, uh, Dr. Merrick, Dr. Corey, uh, Dr. Zelenko, um, 
And uh, interestingly, another physician, entrepreneur uh, Steve Kirsch, mm-hmm. uh, who is uh, also here in Silicon Valley. Um, so uh, I'd like to uh, start by uh, talking a little bit about the uh, COVID infection and how it proceeds. So I'm going to put up a slide here. Um, as soon as I find it. Sorry. No, you were quite all right. I was going to say, I think, I think other than Zelenska, I think I've had on everyone you just named. I can't get, I can't track down Zelenska. So for everybody, uh, for everybody listening, Dr. Fox is pulling up uh, some slides to, to walk me through. Okay, so this is the uh, first one. This is a slide uh, courtesy of Dr. McCullough, who uh, illustrates the three phases of the uh, COVID viral infection. The first one on the left uh, being uh, shown in yellow, the viral proliferation phase. Uh, the virus uh, typically comes in through the upper airway, the nose, the mouth. It's uh, a, settles, uh, Dr. Fox, it's, it's not open on my screen. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, you're quite all right. So, I can see all the thumbnails, but not the actual. Not it's not like blown up. All right. Yeah, yeah, you, you, uh, you had it pulled up before we started recording. Yep. Let me. Uh, you're quite all right. Let's try this again. Perfect. Okay, and so. Um, as I said, this is a slide courtesy of Dr. McCullough that shows the three phases of the COVID viral uh, infection. The first being the yellow uh, phase on the left there, the viral proliferation phase, where the virus comes in through the nose, mouth, settles in the throat, and and it just grows there for several days. In fact, you may not even realize that you've got it for the first few days. Um, and uh, for some people, uh, they're able, especially if they have some kind of uh, immunity already, uh, they can fight it off at that phase, and, and that's the end of it. But for uh, many other people, it progresses uh, down the from the throat uh, down into the lungs, um, where you get a sort of a pneumonia, a viral pneumonia, and the virus continues to proliferate in the lungs and spreads into other organs, the heart, the kidneys, uh, liver, brain, um, and uh, the body mounts a fierce uh, inflammatory response to that. Um, And in fact, it's an out-of-control inflammatory response uh, such that uh, the uh, immune system not only attacks the virus, but it attacks those organs as well. Um, And uh, so it will attack the lungs, uh, the lungs get a pneumonia, uh, they are damaged, and they can't perform their function of getting oxygen uh, into the blood. Uh, people uh, get short of breath, and uh, that's what often takes them to the hospital, and they can't breathe, and they need extra oxygen. Um, as that uh, viral-induced uh, 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 hyperinflammatory response progresses, 
it actually damages the blood vessels lining, the blood vessels that go through the heart, lungs, liver, um, and uh, the damage to the blood vessels causes lots of little clots to develop in those blood vessels, and that's that third red phase there, the thrombosis uh, phase, um, and uh, that can cause uh, heart failure, uh, liver failure, kidney failure, like often does, and that can actually be uh, what actually uh, uh, kills people um, in the end. So, um, So obviously, the uh, uh, the uh, best uh, way to approach this would be to try to treat this uh, infection as early as possible in that viral proliferation uh, phase before your organs have become uh, damaged. Um, uh, but there's a lot of controversy about that. Dr. Fauci doesn't recognize uh, early treatment. Um, so... Um, um, so early on, uh, he was uh, studying, he and the people at the NIH were studying a uh, drug called remdesivir, uh, which is a patent medicine that has to be given intravenously. Um, and uh, therefore can only be used once people are in the hospital. Um, he funded studies of that drug, a drug made by a company uh, called uh, Gilead. And um, they were uh, doing those studies early in uh, 2020, at about the time that uh, he, Dr. Fauci was ready to announce that there was some benefit to remdesivir uh, came reports from uh, France from Dr. Rolt uh, that there was a better treatment with a inexpensive pill that could be taken in the early viral proliferation phase, the pill called hydroxychloroquine. Uh, hydroxychloroquine had been around for many, many decades, widely used in the United States to treat arthritis. Um, uh, I know people who've been treated with with uh, hydroxychloroquine for arthritis. Uh, it's very safe, very easy to take. Uh, Dr. Rolt uh, and his colleagues uh, showed that that uh, COVID could be uh, treated with that, um, and uh, that was a big problem for Dr. Fauci. You'd think he would welcome that news, but actually, it uh, interfered with his plans for remdesivir because remdesivir uh, was not FDA approved, whereas hydroxychloroquine was. The FDA has a rule that they can't approve a new experimental treatment like remdesivir if there's already an FDA approved drug around uh, like hydroxychloroquine that uh, will treat the problem. Um, and uh, there was also some tension between Dr. Fauci and uh, President Trump at the time, because you may remember that the president said he was taking hydroxychloroquine uh, to uh, uh, prevent uh, COVID infection for himself. So uh, at about that time, a very curious thing happened. Um, 
there was a, a paper that appeared in a very prestigious medical journal called The Lancet. Um, uh, the first author was a Harvard professor, Dr. Mandeep Mehra. I'm sure that's how it even got published in The Lancet. It was curious because Dr. Mehra was a cardiologist who had no experience with uh, infectious diseases. And the paper was interesting because it uh, claimed that uh, they had a database of information on 100,000 patients with COVID from 671 hospitals around the world in six continents, um, uh, some treated with uh, hydroxychloroquine and others not. And according to this uh, database, hydroxychloroquine uh, didn't, uh, didn't work to treat COVID. And besides that, uh, it caused uh, irregular heartbeats. Um, so that uh, was a story ran prominently on the uh, Washington Post. The, uh, well, uh, the, the New York Times uh, created uh, quite a stir at the time because this was the drug that uh, President Trump was using. Um, but anyway, a very curious thing happened with that uh, very... Uh, famous paper that um, uh, there were experts in the area who were skeptical uh, about this paper um, because uh, they weren't aware that there was this database of the 100,000 patients and they were experts in the area. So um, uh, rumors started to circulate uh, questioning this. So uh, as those uh, rumors uh, circulated, a few days later, uh, Dr. Fauci got in front of the uh, TV cameras at CNN to uh, tout the results of this study. Um, and he said, see, this proves that hydroxychloroquine that's being recommended by President Trump, this proves that it doesn't work. And besides that, it's harmful. Um, well, the next day after Dr. Fauci had gotten in front of CNN um, came an open letter from 120 of the world's leading uh, infectious disease uh, statisticians uh, saying that uh, we just don't believe this Lancet paper. Uh, we don't believe there's this data out there. And can you please show us the data? Well, that caused uh, quite a, uh, a, a controversy um, among the uh, people following the story in the, in the medical field. Um, and the upshot of it was that uh, Dr. Mara and uh, the other authors of the paper uh, couldn't produce the data. And in fact, it turned out it was fraudulent. It had been made up out of whole cloth. It wasn't just that it was a little bit exaggerated or anything like that. It was completely made up. Um, and uh, so the Lancet had to publish a retraction of the paper. Um, you would think that uh, maybe at that point, Dr. Fauci would have uh, uh, reversed himself and said, well, um, maybe we do need to look at this after all, but not at all. In fact, uh, a week or two later, um, his uh, NIH uh, COVID guideline committee got together and uh, really adopted the results of the Lancet study, even though it had been retracted. They adopted that in their guidelines, saying that hydroxychloroquine was not to be used uh, and that it was dangerous. Um, now, the, uh, 
the Washington Post and the New York Times uh, gave very little coverage to the retraction of that story, uh, needless to say. Um, so um, if I can uh, go on a little bit about this paper, because I think it's very, very interesting. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to show my next uh, slide here, I hope. So, uh, uh, Tommy, uh, do you have this slide now? Did that come up okay? Yes, sir. So, in the top bar uh, is a couple of uh, photos of Dr. Uh, Mira, and um, uh, this uh, this is an interesting report. I got it off the internet, and it shows that he has a cousin by the name of Unique Mira. That's the guy in the blue shirt in the lower left-hand corner. Um, and um, the report is that uh, Unique Mera is uh, Dr. Mera's cousin. Uh, and the report further is that uh, Unique Mera is uh, married to a woman named uh, Jayati Kana Mera. And uh, Jayati Mera uh, turns out to be the executive vice president for human resources or the Gilead uh, Corporation that uh, makes the remdesivir drug. Um, now, in his uh, disclosures, in his Lancet article, uh, Dr. Mara forgot to mention that uh, he was uh, apparently, reportedly, uh, related by marriage to, uh, uh, to Gilead. Um, Another interesting thing when I dug into this a little more was uh, that it turned out that Dr. Mara had presented a, a paper uh, on COVID uh, at a symposium sponsored by Gilead uh, two, a couple months before his Lancet paper came out. Um, and uh, it was uh, clearly sponsored by Gilead that was right there on the program announcement. So typically in a sponsored symposium like that, the, the, the experts presenting those papers usually get some kind of an honorarium or stipend or other. Um, so uh, if that's the case, uh, and Dr. Merrick got some kind of a stipend for participating in Gilead's uh, forum, uh, he didn't mention that in his disclosures in his Lancet paper either, uh, which he certainly should have done. So... Uh, Dr. Mayer had a, a lot of problems going here. One, he authored a paper out of fabricated data that had to be retracted, and he had uh, at least one uh, confirmed uh, conflict of interest that he did not mention, and probably a second one. So uh, I was so interested in that uh, conflict that he had that I actually wrote a uh, inquiry to the press office at the Brigham and Women's Hospital where Dr. Mara works, uh, asking him if it was indeed true that uh, uh, his uh, cousin was married to a uh, highly placed executive at Gilead. Um, and uh, uh, just like your inquiry of Dr. Fauci, I didn't get an answer to my inquiry uh, either. Um, and I think... Um, uh, I'm inclined to, uh, the, the lawyer side of me is inclined to think that when people don't bother 
to uh, deny uh, serious incriminating uh, accusations, that uh, that means that there may be some some truth to those. Um, so anyway, moving on. Um, the uh, next point I'd like to cover um, is that a few uh, a month or two after uh, the hydroxychloroquine um, paper came out, um, there was another paper that came out that I found very interesting. Um, and this one is from Iran. And what they did was uh, they had a lot of COVID patients who were admitted to the hospital. And what they did was they tested their vitamin D levels uh, for all these people and then watched to see what happened to them. And so the dark uh, red uh, circles on this graph are the people who died and the open circles are the ones who survived. Um, and the vertical axis there is their vitamin D level. So you can see that most of the people who died had vitamin D levels less than 30. And conversely, if you had a vitamin D level of 40 or more, uh, you were in pretty good shape. Uh, the only people who died with levels over, over 40 were a couple of people who were in their 80s. Um, there have been subsequent, uh, there have been quite a few other papers on vitamin D and COVID uh, that have shown pretty much the same thing that vitamin D is highly protective. Um, vitamin D, of course, you don't need any prescription for that. Uh, a lot of people take it already. Uh, a lot of people uh, figured this out and they've been taking vitamin D all along during this uh, COVID epidemic. Um, now, it's, uh, now, this is really uh, pertinent to uh, certain uh, non-white uh, populations around the world because it turns out vitamin D is made in your skin uh, when sunlight falls on your skin. Uh, people who have darker skin just don't make vitamin D uh, as efficiently, uh, particularly if they're uh, not at, uh, you know, not around the equator where the sun shines uh, most intensely. Non-white people at higher uh, levels of uh, latitude uh, are often vitamin D deficient. This is a um, study from the CDC, actually, uh, in which uh, they looked at uh, those who had vitamin D levels less than 20. That's the red bars. The orange bars are those from 20 to 40, and the green bars are those above 40. As we saw from the Iranian paper, if you want to uh, stay healthy from COVID, you want to be in that green bar population over 40. As you can see here, among uh, Black Americans, only 3% are in that healthy group above 40, and 63% um, are at high risk because they're below 20. Um, in the middle of the graph, so we have the Hispanic population, which is kind of intermediate. There's still a third of them are in that high-risk group in the red bar, and only 2% of them are in the, uh, um, the uh, well-protected group at uh, 2%. Um, 
And in fact, even among white people, you can see that uh, only 15% of them have levels above uh, 40. So this was known uh, very early on. Um, and um, this involved a completely non-controversial drug, uh, vitamin D, it's over the counter. Um, why wasn't Dr. Fauci talking about this? Uh, particularly uh, because the experience was that, uh, I'll get the next slide here. Um, uh, people of color, uh, which is uh, that uh, red box over there on the right, um, when you looked at their uh, COVID uh, rates, particularly for hospitalization and death, they were actually uh, much uh, higher than those for uh, Asian um, and uh, and uh, and non-Hispanic white uh, folks. So this is something that they could have done very early on uh, at, at little or no cost, would have uh, saved uh, many thousands probably hundreds of thousands of lives. Um, the data was well known to the CDC, uh, and I can't for the life of me figure out why uh, they didn't, um, they didn't uh, get on top of this. Um, they seem to be completely focused on vaccines and uh, remdesivir, uh, and uh, they could have done this particularly the vitamin D that was available long, long before uh, the, uh, the um, vaccines were available. And um, perhaps we'll talk about it in a future podcast, but the vaccines have a lot of side effects and dangers and vitamin D just doesn't have that. Um, the uh, other point I could make about this is the uh, CDC's failure to warn uh, people of color uh, about their increased risk uh, that could be prevented by uh, simply by vitamin D uh, will remind a lot of uh, black folks of the uh, huge scandal from the uh, CDC that was the Tuskegee experiment. Mm -hmm. That was uh, back in the 1930s and 40s where they had a, uh, several hundred uh, black folks, I think, in uh, Alabama, um, men with syphilis uh, that they were following. And when penicillin became available to treat their syphilis, the CDC simply didn't treat them because they just wanted to see what would happen to them if they weren't treated. Um, it was a huge scandal. And um, that only involved a few hundred uh, uh, black folks. Obviously, the... Uh, failure to tell people about the, the black folks about uh, their risks from vitamin D deficiency involved uh, you know, many tens and hundreds of thousands of deaths. This is unconscionable. So then a uh, few months uh, later, we began to get some reports of uh, from uh, Dr. Corey and uh, others about the uh, usefulness of ivermectin. Um, ivermectin has been around for decades, uh, widely used around the world, uh, particularly in uh, subtropical Africa where they have a lot of problems with certain parasites. Uh, it's been a wonder drug um, for treating those uh, people. 
uh, ivermectin actually won a Nobel Prize for the people who invented it in 2015. It's so safe, so effective, and so widely used. Um, it's one of the World Health Organization's uh, know, top 10 yeah. essential medications. Um, so um, when Dr. Corey uh, tried to bring this to the attention of the uh, Dr. Fauci and the NIH, uh, they uh, just uh, brushed him off and said, well, we're not convinced by your data, so we're not going to recommend it. Um, and so in this graph, we can see the uh, timeline of COVID cases in the United States starting in uh, February, March of uh, 2020. You can see there was a huge spike at the end of uh, 2020. Um, a small spike in the spring of uh, 2021 and a bigger spike in uh, the fall of 2021. That's the black bar. The yellow-green bar is the experience in India. Now, India has different seasons than the uh, U.S., so we wouldn't expect their graph to line up with ours. But uh, as you can see, in the spring of uh, 2021, India started to have a major outbreak of uh, COVID. Now, um, India, uh, fortunately for them, was not burdened by having Dr. Fauci and the NIH in charge um, they had some other people in charge there, and uh, they had seen the ivermectin data, and they were convinced by it. And India uh, rolled out a massive campaign to uh, get uh, all of their uh, positive COVID, uh, COVID positive uh, uh, cases treated with ivermectin. Uh, the ivermectin uh, campaign started on April 28th in India. And that's where that uh, arrow is. And uh, you can see that uh, the COVID problem in India was uh, promptly extinguished um, by that. Um, so let's look at India's... Uh, they, India really got on top of this. They actually uh, came up with a COVID kit. Mm -hmm. Um, this picture is uh, courtesy of Dr. Malone, um, and you can see that uh, the important piece of this is the drug ivermectin. It also had vitamin D in it, which we've just talked about. Um, zinc, uh, also very important. Um, so India rolled this uh, kit out very widely. Um, According to Dr. Malone, um, uh, they didn't, uh, supposedly, uh, the people in the U.S. asked India not to um, make this kit widely known because apparently he had trouble getting a picture of it and uh, had to get it somehow from somebody that he knew in India, but it wasn't, you couldn't readily access this information in the U.S. Um, so India had a, a very broad campaign. Um, they went out into the community. Uh, here we have a Meals on Wheels van uh, on a street corner. You didn't have to go to the doctor's office. You didn't have to get a prescription. Um, you know, they 
treated this like a uh, emergency and wanted to get this treatment out as quickly as possible, and they did, and it was very effective. In the marked contrast to the U.S., where uh, Dr. Fauci and the CDC and the FDA uh, threw every roadblock that they could come up with uh, in the way of uh, people getting their COVID uh, treated. So uh, here's the results. Um, this is per capita deaths, COVID-19 deaths per million population. Um, the United States is uh, on the left and India is on the right. Um, so in, in the United States has one of the highest per capita COVID death rates in the world. Uh, India has one of the lowest. Um, um, I find this uh, to be very, very uh, convincing. Dr. Fauci apparently still isn't convinced. Um, makes you wonder what it would take to uh, convince him about that. So you might wonder, well, maybe India accomplished that with vaccinations. Maybe the ivermectin wasn't the key to it. So this is a, a timeline of uh, India's experience with the COVID vaccinations. The red arrow is April 28th, which is when they rolled out their ivermectin campaign. As you can see at that time, only 8.9% uh, of the population of India had even one dose of vaccine and they had uh, only 1.8% even had uh, two doses. So um, the vaccine was not uh, required, was not necessary in order for India to control its problem. They were able to do so uh, just with their treatment kit. Let's see, I guess the next thing I wanted to show, a couple of other things from India's uh, kit uh, that I think are important. Um, one uh, tympanic uh, thermometer, just so you could keep track of your fever. Once your fever goes away, uh, you're you're doing much better. But one thing that I found uh, very essential is this little device here called a pulse oximeter. It goes on your fingertip, mm -hmm. and it shines a little light through your fingertip and uh, measures the light coming out on the other side to see how blue or red your blood is. Um, and it gives you a little readout right there. These, uh, you can get them for $50 or less at most pharmacies. Um, I uh, had all of my patients uh, try to get pulse oximeter. Sometimes they were sold out, but I tried to get everybody to get one um, because uh, I managed all my COVID patients uh, over the internet. It's uh, easy. I, I've managed hundreds. Uh, None of my COVID patients have ever died. Uh, Dr. Fauci can't say that. Um, anyway, uh, I would have them send me an email uh, every day or even more often as needed. And I always ask them, uh, tell me what your oxygen level is. And uh, most of the time they, had, they kept pretty good oxygen levels and that's how I knew that they were gonna be okay. And more importantly, they and their family members were reassured because COVID is such a terrifying diagnosis. Um, and, uh, you know, the, 
their regular doctors, their Kaiser doctors, their Sutter doctors, uh, they weren't helping them at all. They weren't giving them drugs. They weren't telling them to get oximeters. The patients were left, uh, you know, just bewildered about what they were supposed to do about their COVID. So it was very reassuring to them to be able to get a pulse oximeter, put it on, and see that they're doing okay. Um, so very good medically and also psychologically. Um, so uh, as you know, you've had uh, Drs. Tyson and Fareed on your show. Uh, they've written a book about uh, how they successfully treated, here they say 7,000 patients, actually up to 10,000 now. And as you know, of the, those who uh, came to them when they first got sick, uh, while they were early in that yellow phase of things, uh, they had no deaths. I had no deaths among my patients. They had no deaths among theirs. Early treatment is the key. You have to get it before the virus has multiplied and especially before it attacks your internal organs. Um, and especially once the, that attack occurs, especially once you get all the blood clots, uh, very, very hard to, to treat the uh, problem uh, when it gets uh, to that phase. Uh, my hat's off to Drs. Tyson and Fareed. I think they've probably, I'm sure they've treated uh, more COVID patients successfully than, um, you know, than uh, anyone else in the world. Um, uh, I would put them in charge of the uh, NIH and the CDC and the FDA if I, you know, if, if I were, uh, if I were the president. Um, so, I sort of would uh, wrap up here with a few more comments. Um, so Dr. Fauci not only failed to adopt the early treatments uh, pioneered by Drs. Tyson, Fareed, and others, um, but he actually actively opposed early treatments, um, even though those drugs have been widely and safely used for decades uh, in the U.S. to treat other conditions. Um, he and the FDA told the, the public that these drugs were unsafe for outpatient use for COVID, but they had no evidence at all to back that up. And there were decades of experience that they were safe. Uh, this was, in my opinion, outright scientific fraud. Um, but his main argument against these drugs was that they were not effective. And you still see that argument trotted out all the time. Uh, well, there's no, no evidence that these are effective. Of course, you can show them dozens and dozens of studies showing that they're effective, but they uh, they always deny them because they have some some technical objection that you know that they didn't do this or they didn't do that. So therefore, we don't accept you know they they they, they won't accept anybody else, any studies at all showing effectiveness. But uh, and, and their particular argument was that they insist on randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled uh, uh, trials. Um, uh, nothing short of that will convince them that these are effective. But in my view, the effectiveness argument is a red herring. COVID-19 was a national emergency. The only valid question was whether it was safe. 
effectiveness can be settled later. Penicillin was rushed into use in World War II without any randomized double-blind studies, and it was so obvious that it worked under battlefield conditions that they never did any such studies uh, before uh, penicillin was FDA-approved. So if COVID drugs were safe, they should have been rushed into the battle. We've lost more than twice as many Americans in the COVID battle as were lost in World War II. The fact that we have not used these safe, readily available drugs for whatever they were worth in the battle against COVID is, in my view, unconscionable, and that uh, some appear to have conspired to prevent their use is, in my view, unforgivable. Completely criminal. Uh, some people would put those, uh, many people would put those in the category of war crimes under That's the a hundred principles. It's a hundred percent a war crime. It's a, it's one, it's one thing to push a vaccine with side effects. It's another thing to suppress those side effects. It's a whole another bag of worms or can of worms to suppress alternative treatments of generic medications that have been used for decades, cost next to nothing and have been shown to be effective. It is that is nothing short, nothing short of medical genocide. It's it's what it is. And uh, I don't want to get too carried away here, but we've been lately accusing uh, Vladimir Putin of war crimes. Uh, not, he's only killed a few thousand Ukrainians. Uh, I don't think he has anything on Dr. Fauci here. Pardon me, but that's just where I am on this. It's it's a hundred percent what it is. It's yeah. It's some was it four hundred and fifteen thousand Americans were killed in World War Two. Yeah, it's double that. It's double. It's double what the Imperial Japanese, uh, what the fascist Italians, and what Nazi Germany did. It's factually what it is. That's not hyperbole. It's not an exaggeration. That's especially when you have guys like Freed and Tyson showing that they can cure a hundred percent. Every death is on his hands then, and everyone that conspired. The heads of Moderna, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, those complicit in the media, those complicit in the mandates, they're all guilty of it. Yep. And uh, there needs to be a reckoning. Um, uh, there desperately needs to be a reckoning. Um, uh, the institutional accountability here, it's not just a few rotten apples at the top, but Obviously, there were a lot of people at the NIH, the CDC, and the FDA who never blew any whistles on this. Uh, the corruption, uh, I, I'm afraid, is wide and deep. If there isn't a reckoning, it's going to happen again. It cannot go unpunished. And not to say punishment for the sake of punishment, but rather you're dooming another generation to this for the next pandemic, whether it's in 2030 or whether it's in 2118. It's... It, if we don't stop it now and we don't punish it now, it's going to happen again. You, you cannot let this go untouched. It, it, I know it's slipping into the rearview mirror because now it's all about Ukraine. This has to be investigated top down, inside and out. It, I mean, even the Biden administration stopping the shipments of monoclonal antibodies. It's so clear. It's so clear that they are all in bed with big pharma. Anyone with two brain cells can see that. It can't go unpunished. It, it, there has to be a reckoning for all those reasons. It also, I think, it dishonors the memory of all those who lost their lives in this. It's to trivialize 
the deaths of all those people. Um, and uh, it's an insult to their families. Um, the, the families, uh, they need justice. Uh, the, the dead need justice. The families need justice. Um, you know, that's why we had to have the war crimes trials after World War II. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, it's a, it's a, it's just dishonors uh, all those who lost their lives. Um, unnecessarily in this in this fight absolutely and that's that's what i think that's what i think i'm going to be holding you to when you win your when you win your race is that someone has to do this i bring it up with every person i have on that's running for congress i'm like hey the elephant in the room is the is the dr mengala who's still operating at the head of the united states if 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 no one has a plan of action against that that's someone that I can't even passively support. It's so clear. It's so life is never black and white. It's so clearly black and white right now that if I'm interviewing someone who's running for Senate or the house and they don't have an opinion on that, I, I, I'll I kick them off. You can't, you can't come back on. It's, 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 that's what it is. And it's an issue that uh, I don't think, you can dismiss it. Um, it's the elephant in the room, as you say, that, that cannot be dismissed. Um, everybody knows it's there. Uh, it's going to have to be reckoned with. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dr. Fox, as we said in our emails, let's uh, let's set up another episode. Uh, I would love to have you back on. Um, I'm, you. I'm glad to hear you bring up war crimes and crimes against humanity because it's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's two times the number of American fatalities, not casualties, fatalities is the entire Second World War. It cannot go unpunished. Well, thank you very much for your time. I'm going to very much look forward to, uh, to coming back for another, uh, another chat. Absolutely. My platform is your platform. Thank you so much, Dr. Fox. Uh, I will put all, uh, all, relative links in the description and I'll send you an email when this episode is uploaded and we will schedule another episode. I look forward to it. Thank you, sir. God bless. God bless America. Stay safe, everybody. Recording stopped. Take care, Dr. Fox.